0: When we practice meditation, we're learning to experience the peaceful mind. In one way we talk about peaceful mind is the mind that doesn't seek anything else or look for anything else, it's happy, it's satisfied within itself. Another way of saying it is the mind is not lacking anything, doesn't want anything else. So it has a sense of uh, everything is enough. So you can see if your mind is not peaceful, it's disturbed, or it's discontent, then there's some kind of wanting or wishing for something in your life. You want to get something, or get rid of something you don't like, and so on. That's discontent. But when we're learning to experience the peaceful mind, then we have to get to know what it's like to feel content, to feel it's enough, good enough. And the more we become familiar with uh, the contented mind, That feeling of, uh, it's good enough, I have enough. Then the mind settles down. It's happy, it's quiet. So you can see when you're on retreat, there's a relationship between lifestyle and your state of mind. On a retreat, say when we're in the monastery, we're living very sort of simply, not many distractions. So at at first it's quite uh, hard work maybe, getting used to that, because of our discontented mind. Seeking things that we haven't got, wanting more things, wanting things to be different, wanting to get more, have better things or whatever. But as you get used to the lifestyle, you can see how uh, easy it is to bring up a sense of contentment. Just with the simplicity of things. Uh, There's enough food, there's a place to stay, the place is peaceful. So then your mind might become more used to being content with uh, the situation, the place, and in itself. So then it's not seeking too much more. That takes a little bit of time and effort to achieve. And just sometimes we just have to remind ourselves to Uh, settle down and uh, make the best of what we've got appreciate what we've got rather than always looking for something different or more you can see that even in daily life what we call the real world when we go home and we have work and jobs, families the same issue arises we have discontent versus contentment and many people find it hard to be content in their lifestyle in their family, in their workplace with their health, with the way things are it's something we have to work at in our life whether we're in the monastery or at home And the Buddha gave many teachings on contentment because it's such an important factor in our peace of mind in the quality of our life, our sense of well-being. He gave many, many teachings to help us to find contentment. So he gave teachings on, say, just simple things like how to manage your financial affairs, money and... That side of life, as you think about it, a lot of our discontent comes from uh, just the simple daily earning money, how to spend it wisely, how much to save, what to spend our money on. So The Buddha always reminded us, learn how to live wisely, learn to live within your means. You can see nowadays in the world our society is often based on um, credit and debt. And a lot of stress and discontent comes because we often overreach ourselves. So we build up lots of uh, debt, we have a credit card, And it's fun at the beginning of the month but towards the end of the month when the bill's coming the tension and the stress rises because you've got to pay the bill now. Discontent. Mm. So credit cards and mortgages and loans can be a great source of stress if we don't manage them carefully. And the happiest people maybe are those who are completely free from debt, no debt at all, then you're not worried about anything. But if you do take on debt, then to take on debt that's within your means, or within your income, and at least then you can have some peace of mind that you have enough income to pay off your debt. And that would be an example of contentment, living within your means, Often, you know, in, in our society, governments and other authorities and institutions generally t- always just talking about profit and loss, gain and loss in terms of money, of the economy, how well it's doing, how many people are employed, unemployed, the cost of living, inflation things like gross national product how much the, the company or the country is making and they don't talk much about the spiritual side of life or the, the peaceful mind or the contented mind and it's very easy for us to become caught up just in the figures of life, you know, the money how much we earn how much we spend how can we get more uh, and whether that's just an individual, or a group of individuals, or a company, or a corporation, or a whole economy, a whole country. We can often lose track of what really contributes to our peace of mind and our contentment. We often get caught into the thought, well, if I just get more, I'll be happier. And more profit, more amount, bigger amount, a bigger amount in my bank account, or so on. And that's not always the case. Often we can get more, or we put a lot of effort into a getting more, but then we get stressed doing that. We get worries, we get fears, insecurities maybe we'll only earn so much in the coming year, or maybe our. Income will be reduced. Maybe even we lose our job or lose our source of income. The economy can change and so on. And often we get so caught up just in the figures and the amounts of wealth and money that we have. Whereas the Buddha encourages us to go deeper and say, well, contentment is actually the feeling of, oh, I have enough. And so sometimes if we stop and just consider this, Maybe even if we haven't got everything that we've been planning for in life, if we stop and think about it, we probably have enough. was enough? I mean, how much is enough? Well, it's probably enough to eat, place to stay. like, you know, after this retreat, your house will seem like a palace, if you've been living in a tent. So for sure, when you go home, you should have the feeling, oh, it's good enough. It's better than a tent. Uh, food, when you go home, you've got a fridge full of food. You can eat as many times as day as you want. You can have a midnight snack if you want. Plenty of food at home. Plenty of shelter, comfort, furniture. At home, you don't just have to wear white. You can wear any color you want, any combination. So, if you think about it, at home, you go home, you probably have enough of everything to be content and happy. And yet, the mind, if you're not careful, it takes over, it says, oh, but we want more. (laughs) We want bigger and better. So, this is part of The meditation practice is also seeing how we are living and developing a wise attitude to things like wealth and money and lifestyle. There's one Buddhist country, uh, Bhutan, the king, the Buddhist king there, he saw this problem. He said, you know, people's happiness isn't just a matter of dollars, how many dollars they earn, in the economy, it's also about these kind of qualities, inner happiness, contentment, peace of mind. So he introduced the uh, term gross national happiness instead of just gross national product, how many things the economy produces, how many units of material and how many dollars. He introduced the concept gross national happiness, how happy are the people. Because he's a king, so he has a sense of responsibility for the people. He wants to make sure the people are happy. And this is how the Buddha taught a good leader should be thinking this way. Thinking about the welfare of the people, not just how much money they make, but you know, how happy they are in their minds, in their lives. Because if people are happy, then even if the economy is not the best, or it's going through a hard time, people will still be able to find happiness inside in their minds. They'll be harmonious in their behavior. They'll live together better. They'll cooperate better and so on. The Thai king, also a Buddhist king, he also encourages people to see this point. In the last few years, he's had a project. um, They talk about Setagit Piang means finding uh, the right amount in the economy or to know, um, say, moderation in the economy. I mean, as the economy, say, a country like Thailand is a developing economy, there's lots of new businesses, new factories, new houses. Everybody is interested to make more money, more wealth, which is good, to try and eradicate poverty. But it's trying to get people to see it's not an end in itself, or it's not a guarantee of happiness. And so, how do you do that? Well, you develop the sense of contentment, as well as making money and earning money and producing things in the economy. Also, learn to appreciate what you've got and find the right amount and appreciate that. See what is enough for you, your family, for society without getting caught up in a sort of an endless race or cycle of always seeking to get more and more and thinking happiness must depend on always getting more, more, more. So this is actually coming from the heart of the Buddhist teachings. As the Buddha said, craving or this sort of desire to always have more, the discontent of the mind, it's never ending. Just getting the thing you want doesn't actually end the craving. Craving will just move on to something else. Because it's, it's a quality of mind. If we haven't recognized it, we haven't see it, seen it, it will just keep feeding itself and stirring us up. So you know, even if you get a million dollars, craving will want two million. When you get a hundred million dollars, craving will want a thousand million yeah. dollars, on and on like that, if we don't see it. So the Buddha said, craving is like a river. It's a long, long, endless river. There's no river as long as the river of craving. In a sense, it just keeps flowing, flowing and flowing along unless we recognize it and see the discontent that it causes in our hearts. So, say for instance, this this program the Thai King has, it's just a way to get people to uh, restrain the effects of their own craving a little bit. He's not encouraging people to not work or give up, he's just saying, Understand the dangers of, of craving how if it takes over the mind then you're always caught into a sense of discontent which leads to dishar- disharmony leads to a lot of waste and leads to a lot of competition and then stress and so on. As you notice when your mind is content you have an appreciation of the, the things you've got and you have that set feeling of it it's enough, then naturally you're able to be harmonious and cooperate with other people very easily. Because if you have the feeling, I've got enough, when it's natural to be able to think of others, maybe share what you have with others, because you have enough for yourself. When we're caught into craving, and we always have the feeling it's not enough, then you know you don't see the value so much of sharing with others, you see others more as just part of the problem, or they're competitors, or, you know, I haven't got enough for myself, so I'm not gonna give, give anything to anybody else either. And we tend to think like that. So when craving comes into the mind, we tend to become a little bit more selfish or competitive. So they say, if, if you want to feel like a millionaire, We'll just contemplate what you have in your life, even if you have only a tiny little bit of wealth, but if you have enough, enough to eat, enough on your plate, place to stay, and you can appreciate that, then you'll feel like a millionaire. The millionaires they always feel, oh, you've got lots of money, so they feel very satisfied. But if you're satisfied, truly satisfied and appreciate what you've got, then your mind is as if the mind of a millionaire whether you're a millionaire or not, is a a different thing. And when you practice, so that means when you practice meditation and you can see, well, I have enough. So here we have a place to stay, we have food, we have uh, reasonable facilities. So when you're meditating, you can let go of all worries about that side of things. You just focus your mind on the in-breath, the out-breath. Once it stays with the breath, it's it's content enough, satisfied to stay with the breath, then you have contentment. Your mind doesn't lack or want anything else. At that moment, your mind will feel happy in itself. You feel, I have enough. You can see nowadays, because the way the world is with the advances in technology and communications and information sharing and so on, the opportunity for discontent grows. It's not that technology or information technology or the media or communication technology, it's not that any of these are wrong, they can all be very useful. But the opportunity for us to get lost in our craving and the discontent of always seeking more, wanting things to be better and different, that can grow very easily. We can get lost. So we have sort of situations where people maybe get lost on the internet, just always surfing the net, looking for more information, more things to do, more games, more whatever. It's just one example where Maybe craving takes over and we're constantly looking for the next website or the next game, the next bit of information. Even quite mundane things can become a source of suffering in this way. We were talking earlier about food. Like now, food has become a big, big industry, hasn't it? It's something that we can, uh, people make money out of, not just restaurants, in the old days it was just restaurants but now it's cookbooks and cookery shows, master chef, iron chef, even get Buddhist monks to go on these shows now. (laughs) And then recipe books and columns in newspapers and all kinds of food, food fairs, food shows, food conferences, (laughs) on and on it goes. And and nothing necessarily wrong with any of it, but you can also see how the danger of just discontent slips in you. We're not content with just getting a a reasonable meal, nutritious meal, the next thing we've got to have something a little bit different some new taste, some new experience. You're always looking for the next thing. And there's more available because you can go around the world, either travel around the world or go onto the internet around the world and see what other people are eating. And it just stirs up the mind, doesn't it? You want to try some of this, try some of that. Maybe this will be good. So they were saying this uh, English, famous English uh, chef who writes cookbooks and the pressure of always having to produce new recipes, new interesting flavours and recipes of food. He had travelled to India, northern India. They have this one kind of herb that just grows by the side of the road and they like to add it to the food, makes it tasty and he thought "Oh, that would be really good I'll put that in one of my recipes in his latest recipe book which they sold all around the world Europe, America he made this recipe and he put this in and uh, trouble was when he was in India like you know when the Indians they speak English often they get it a little bit wrong (laughs) and he got the wrong name of this herb the English name, English translation of this herb got it wrong. And the one that he wrote into the cookbook was actually toxic, a different herb. It's one that gives people seizures and they can die from when they uh, eat it. But he didn't notice, so they put into the cookbook and they printed tens of thousands of copies and distributed through Europe, USA. And then someone looked at this recipe and they said, hold on, that's, that's poisonous, I know that. <laughs> and they had to remove every single cookbook from the bookstores and the market because he was going to get sued because somebody could have died. And obviously, you know, there's nothing wrong with writing cookbooks and, and making a living at that, but it's where craving comes in sometimes. We makes us make mistakes sometimes we're always seeking something more something different and we maybe make a mistake or it gets the better of us you know, that's just one very small kind of example we can see in our own lives what we have to do is come back look at our own lives and see where sometimes craving is producing discontent for us in our own lives you know, discontent with our workplace or our income or our house or we say discontent with our loved ones, discontent with our husband, and discontent with our wife or our children Uh, you often hear children they come here and they complain they say my friend's mum lets lets him do all this, he can do this and he can do that but my mum doesn't let me always comparing our, you know, our friend's mum or dad with our own, We're Always dissatisfied with our own, maybe they, you know, they don't let us do something we want to do, they don't want to let us play games or as many games as we'd like. But the friend's mum always does, in their mind, whether it's true or not is a different thing, you know, maybe it's just in their mind. <laughs> We, we find discontent everywhere where craving comes in, then we'll see, we'll feel uh, frustration or something's not quite good enough or lacking. And where it's reflected, where it's seen, it's in our mind, isn't it? Our mind has to experience the discontent. So learning to see the relationship between our lifestyle and what we're doing and the state of mind is, is part of meditation understanding and learning what is a a skillful way to live in the world. A living within our means, financially, and learning to be content with what we've got. You know, it takes some effort to do that. This is why Buddhist practice, the Buddha's teachings always begin with dhana, generosity, charity, because If you get into the habit of thinking of others as well as yourself and you practice different kinds of charity and helping others as well as yourself, it gets you, it brings up the sense of contentment quite quickly because you have that sense of, oh, I've got enough time to help someone else. I've got enough food to share. I've got enough of something or other to help somebody else even just i've got enough time to give a few words of support to somebody and that's dhana as well that's the buddha said this is the beginning of the practice because it's directly going against the most extreme of our craving and discontent so when you you'd practice say if you've done any kind of dhana in your life and then you meditate and you remember, you recollect the dana that you've done while you're meditating, usually brings up a lot of joy. You can remember um, times where you've helped somebody in your family or stranger or anyone. Maybe you helped somebody who's less fortunate than you who needed some support and they're sick or they're down on their luck in some way. Ordana you've done within the religion, you're supporting monasteries, Ordana charity you've done, supporting the sick, the poor, or different kinds of charity work people do, voluntary work we do, giving up our time to do something good for the society or the environment. When you meditate, you recollect these occasions, usually brings up a lot of joy, contentment, you feel good, Ah, oh, that was a good thing to do, I'm happy about that. And this isn't always connected to the outcome either, sometimes we do dana, and you know, we benefit by doing that, we remember it, but maybe you know, the dana we, we, we give doesn't always um, produce the results we're expecting, that's a slightly different issue. Uh, we can't always judge it by the results maybe like here we, <laughs> we did a few times we had tree planting days where people would buy trees and then come and plant them in the monastery and everyone was very happy but then we get a lot of animals here so one herd of deer comes through and a you know, hundred trees get eaten and never recover but that doesn't take away the dana that was done, people still have the happy memory of planting trees, doing something good for the environment, for the monastery, even though some of the trees get eaten, at least some will get through. So dana isn't always about the result either, it's about the doing, the giving, the letting go of some of your own craving, selfishness, and the result is you get contentment coming up. When we practice sila, it's the same. Keeping precepts, trying to lead our lives in a harmless way, where we're not uh, causing trouble or suffering for others. You, know, you remember, as you meditate, if you remember the precepts that you've kept, um, over a period of time, usually brings up a sense of inner joy, peace. You, know, you, m- you may feel on the one hand, well, I'm not very wise, not very enlightened person when I meditate, I'm not very peaceful, but maybe you're overlooking many of the good things you have done just by keeping precepts. But this is a very subtle kind of goodness. So you could sit there and you might think, oh, today my mind not very peaceful, thinking a lot. But at least I didn't murder anyone today. (laughs) Well, that's because you kept the precept. You didn't kill anyone today. Or maybe, hopefully, you never killed anyone in your life. So if nothing else, you've kept a precept, never murdered. That's something you can feel good about even if everything else seems a bit of a mess or going wrong in your meditation or in other areas of your life, if you've never killed anybody, well, that's something very good. And you can be conscious of that. Or if you've never, you know, stolen in your life or, most of us, when we're young, we sometimes do a little bit of petty, petty theft from our parents. But if you've never done any serious theft in your life you can recollect that and feel good about it or even if you once blew it and you did steal something you might realize oh that wasn't the best thing to do but at least since then I haven't stolen maybe once you, you did steal something but the time since that day until today maybe you haven't stolen anything so at least for that period you can say oh, at least I didn't steal for the last however long so you can reflect on your precepts the precepts you've kept and just remind yourself oh yeah I have been leading a reasonably uh, peaceful life coexisting with my fellow human beings even if it's not perfect at least there's been these general um, virtues that i've been upholding in my life you think of that and brings up some joy some happiness again it creates a sense of contentment in the in the mind because you realize well you have done some good in your life and you're a you're aware of that, you're appreciating that during your meditation. It's actually one kind of meditation, the technique the Buddha gave. He said, sila nusati, so recollecting the precepts, what they are, why we keep them, the benefits of the precepts, and bringing up the quality of mind that, that helps you to keep precepts. So, and The modern word would be a sense of conscience. You have a conscience about right and wrong, good and bad. And you're developing that as you meditate on the precepts, you meditate on that kind of quality that guards over the mind and stops you from, say, killing or stealing. That sense of, oh, I can't do that, it's wrong or it's bad. It's too cruel or too unkind. That clarity in your mind, that's a kind of meditation. And brings up, can bring up a lot of joy just reflecting on our own precepts, uh, reflecting on other people's goodness. Maybe you know somebody who you feel is a very good example in your life. They don't kill, steal, they don't harm others, take advantage of others. And you can think of them as a way to bring up a sense of peace and happiness for yourself so there's these more external aspects of our meditation which are still important factors for the peaceful mind learning how to be content within our lifestyle learning and appreciating the precepts we've kept or if we've broken them, well, the attempt to uh, re-establish them. Okay, like now is New Year's, coming up to New Year's Eve, so it's a time people make New Year's resolutions. You can use occasions like this, say, if you feel, oh, last year was a bad year, this year, I'm going to start fresh, <laughs> make my resolutions, uh, you know, be very careful with my speech, I'm not going to be rude to anybody, not going to show my temper when I speak to anyone, Uh, not going to be this year I want to do certain, maybe there's certain things you want to do, maybe this year I'm going to live within my means, so I'm not going to run up any debts with anybody. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to balance my budget this year, make that your resolution. Maybe make a resolution to practice more dana, or a certain kind of dana. There's endless resolutions we can make. The thing to do is see what might help you in your lifestyle to bring up a little bit more sense of being at ease and content within your, yourself. This will help your meditation and also just your general well-being in your life. Or maybe, you know, if you have somebody uh, you feel grateful to you in your life, so like your parents, it's an obvious example, and maybe re- make a resolution, what can I do to give something back to my parents or help my parents? Maybe you make a resolution to visit them more or um, support them in some particular way. I remember one lady came here who was having a lot of depression very very negative about herself about her life I was trying to get her to think is anything you can feel good about and she she dismissed it all said no and there's nothing good in my life (laughs) I said oh what about your parents do you ever you know go around to your parents house cook them a meal no never do that when did you last cook your parents a meal? I can't remember. Said, oh, why don't you make a resolution and once a week, go and cook, cook a meal for your parents? Because they're old and they're retired and the father was quite ill. So said, why don't you cook your dad a nice meal once a week? At the very least, you'll feel good about that. And, and she was a wise person. She, she perhaps saw there was a need, so she took, went off and she did that. He came back later and said, hmm, feels much better. Sometimes we have to look at our life and see what can we do to improve things or adjust things if, if we can see there's something lacking or something not quite right. All of these contribute to our state of mind, our peace of mind, bringing up more contentment, more happiness. And then when you come to meditate, you'll see the results and you have some Happy memories can feel good about yourself, at least in some areas. Maybe some areas still feel not quite right, and that's normal. Maybe we still have some weaknesses or bad habits or different attachments that we can maybe see but we don't feel we can do much about, that's normal. These things take time. talking a little bit about the quality of contentment today ways to bring up fine contentment it's not something that always comes naturally we actually have to work at it look for it appreciating what we've got appreciating the people around us the good in them appreciating the good in ourselves appreciating are uh, good opportunities. You know, like we, when the mind's caught into discontent, we, we always focus on what's wrong, what's not good about our life or the world around us. When you work on contentment, though, you're focusing on what's right and what's good. And someone was a historian... Uh, I was talking to her, they're saying they always ask the question, why did the Second World War happen? Trying to... Historians, social historians and people are always asking this question, why did the Second World War happen? Because they're thinking maybe we can stop it, prevent another, a Third World War. So why did the Second World War happen? What were the causes they like to look at that? The politics, Germany and Europe and things like that, Japan, America. But he said he used to think like that and then he started to think maybe that's not the best way of looking at it. Maybe a more positive way is ask the question, why haven't we had more world wars since then? Yeah, you know, there's different ways of looking at life, aren't there? You can say, well, why did this happen? Or well, why, or why did it not happen more often? Well, obviously, because people still have some wisdom, and they say, oh, world wars are not very good. Um, not very good for anybody because they're world wars. Everyone suffers, and most people realise that, so they don't want a world war, and that's why we haven't had more world wars. And we can look at our life in this sort of way. Instead of sort of saying, oh, why did this go wrong? Oh, why did this happen to me? <laughs> we could say, oh, why doesn't it go wrong more often? <laughs> There's many ways we can find contentment. You have to learn how to look at things you know, and see maybe the positive, appreciate the positive, the good in yourself, in others, in situations. There's many ways we can do this, but to see the value of finding contentment as a quality, bringing it up. The Buddhist term is santuti, santuti, santosa. Sense of just everything just being good enough, just right. Ajahn Chah used to have that phrase, he said, it's good enough. If you can see things as being good enough, then you can be at peace. You can accept the way things are, because it's good enough. When craving takes over the mind, it's not good enough. (laughs) And we're discontent again, back with discontent. So maybe just use that as a mantra, say, in your daily life. If you're going to work and there's problems with the office or the boss or the people at work or tired or stressed or something, just see if that works as a mantra. Say, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough. The office is good enough. The family is good enough. The country is good enough. <laughs> just keep using it as a mantra. It can help calm your mind down and free it from some of the discontent. In my mind is good enough. You're meditating, oh, it's good enough. The meditation object is good enough. One breath in, one breath out, it's good enough. Anyway, maybe the Dhamma talk is good enough. I'll end there. No need to say too much. <laughs> so I'll leave it there. I can uh, carry on meditating.